The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz is HR. Talent, talent everywhere, yet so many job candidates still cannot find a job. With droves of companies expanding their geographic footprint, the ongoing skills versus talent paradox that we discussed on the show in February 2013 merits a fresh examination. So what is HR doing about this? The experts speak, and I've got a wonderful panel for you today. Joining us will be Dr. Catherine Jones from Burson by Deloitte, and she says, and I quote, growing local when going global. Skill gaps take on a whole new meaning for multinational companies seeking indigenous leaders. A lot of meat on the bones there. We'll be finding out from Catherine Jones in a few minutes what she means by all of that. Joining us also today is China Gorman from the CMG Group. And she says, a shift in post-secondary education is coming. It has to. It's being forced by the demand side, which are employers, while the supply side, meaning education providers, is slowly beginning to take note. I'm, I'm impressed with that slow beginning to take note. We'll see what the lag is there. She also says a focus on competence is taking hold, providing hope for employers and consternation for education providers. We'll discuss that gap with China in a few minutes. And rounding out our panel today is Susan Bohr from SAP calling from the UK. And she says the stakes are getting higher for attracting and retaining the right talent to deliver future business strategies. Great quote from Susan Bohr. So join us for the next hour for HR on Alert, Leadership in the Headlights, Part 2. And I want to call to all of your attention, those of you who are anywhere near my age range, think back, 1957, number one song, top of the rock and roll hit parade, Get a Job by the Silhouettes. <laughs> Look it up. A lot of meat on the bones there. I'll be quoting some of those statistics. And also a little level setting. The U.S. Labor Bureau says in May 2013, the 7.6% U.S. Jobless, jobless rate was holding steady. However, employment did rise in professional and business services, food services, and drinking places. Maybe that's a tip to all of us and the retail trade. So welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We are coming to you live on the Business Channel. It's Wednesday, June 12th. And a quick shout-out to my little Megan who turns 12 today, 12 on the 12th. Happy birthday, Megan. Okay, now I have a quick question for my listeners before we introduce the panel. 
You know you have to do it, but it can be painful thinking about harnessing your business's big data. But there it is. Click any banner on our show page on the Business Channel and look for a complimentary ebook on how to start eliminating the pain of big data. It's on us with our compliments. And now let's meet our panelists today. Dr. Catherine Jones is a veteran of SAP Radio. She's been at least once before. She's the research director of HCMTM Technology at Burson by Deloitte. Catherine focuses on research on the underlying technologies and services that support the management of a global workforce, including HR, hiring, performance management, succession and leadership, and strategic workforce planning. Dr. Catherine Jones, how are you today? Hey, I am just fine, Bonnie, sitting here in a hotel room in Dallas. Okay, well, we're happy to have you from Dallas. We'll be talking to you in a few minutes, and, and thanks for the great quote, Catherine. We'll get to you in a second. China Gorman has held strategic business leadership roles in the human capital management sector for over 25 years. You don't look at China. Currently CEO of the CMG Group. We're friends, I can say that. A consultancy supporting solution providers in the human capital management sector. China is a sought-after speaker and thought leader in the broad human resources marketplace. Welcome, China. How are you today? I'm great, and I'm crushed, Catherine. I was in Dallas for the last three days, and I missed you. How does how does this happen? I don't know. <laughs> you do well. Here you are. Aren't I even more glad, gladder that I got you two together? China. Later in the show, remind me. I never did ask you how you got your first name the first and second times you were on the show. So we'll cover that somewhere, maybe okay. in the predictions. Okay. Talk about multinational and global companies. And Susan Bohr joining us for the first time. Susan is the global senior VP of talent at. SAP. She's responsible for leading SAP's talent acquisition strategy, which includes executive, professional, as well as entry-level hiring, as well as employer branding and marketing. Susan supports SAP's efforts to make SAP the employer of choice in the IT industry. Good goal. Susan Bohr, welcome to SAP Radio. How are you? I'm great, Bonnie. Thank you so much for inviting me to the show. I'm dialing in from the SAP London office, which is about two miles from Heathrow Terminal 5, so I'm hoping the <laughs> aircraft noise isn't going to interfere with the show. I think we're just fine. We'll just tell those planes to pipe down for 48 minutes. It's okay, Susan. Thank you. So let's go back into our monologue. Ladies, you sent me such wonderful quotes. I know there's a lot of meat on the bones here, as I said. So let's pull them apart one at a time. Catherine Jones Burson by Deloitte. You said, growing local when going global. Skill gaps take on a whole new meeting for multinational companies seeking indigenous leaders. Why don't you take that apart a little at a time and tell us what you mean, Catherine Jones? The local U.S. and uh, North American problem we have issues as business people with um, education all over the world not really doing what we need done. Now, when we look at growing local, I just made that expression up because what I, we always talk about going global, and then we talk about um, globalization. But what I really wanted to look at here was the idea of growing local talent globally, not us going there, but growing those people we need in a multinational organization. We found some big gaps, and I'll love to talk to you further about them in a minute. Okay. Thank you very much, Catherine. Good start. And, Catherine, I think we may have you dial it back on another line because we're having a little trouble hearing you, and I want to make sure we get all of your wonderful words of wisdom. Okay. China Gorman, CMG Group, you said, and your, your focus is on education. Very interesting uh, perspective here, China. You're talking about the demand side, which are the employers demanding a talented, skilled, appropriately assigned workforce so companies can thrive and survive. And then you're talking about the 
supply side, which are the education providers who are preparing this workforce. So you say a focus on competence is taking hold. Competence is probably our big key word here, providing hope for employers and consternation for education providers. I understand the hope part, but why consternation for the educators, China? Well, if you think about it um, and you think about um, if you think about students as products of the education system, which is uncomfortable because they're because they're people, but if you if you think of the outputs of the education system right now, and you talk to employers, really anywhere in the world, um, employers are pretty dissatisfied with the level of skills and competencies that are actually able to be deployed in the economy whether we're talking North America, Europe, Asia, wherever. Um, and so there's be- beginning to be some, uh, some pressure put by employers everywhere in the world to education systems and education providers, some you know, sort of government-run uh, or nonprofit and some for-profit, to really begin to deliver to their students competencies that make them useful in the economy. And I'm not, you know, we can talk really broad, broad generalizations here, but in general, um, we're, we're not, as employers, we're not real happy with the level of skills coming out of high schools. We're not real happy with the level of employable skills coming out of um, associate degree programs or uh, four-year, four-year degree programs. And so the good news is there's starting to be a, um, it may not be a happy dialogue, but it's probably a healthy dialogue between the buyers of competence and the providers of competence, mm-hmm. um, uh, really every, everywhere in the world. And it's a really necessary conversation because of how the world has changed and how employers have changed and how co- the nature of careers have changed. Um, it's a good conversation to be having. China, before we, we move to Susan's quote, I want to ask you, China, whose responsibility is it to open this conversation? Is it the employers who are saying, hey, wait a minute, I have 100 jobs open, I've got 5,000 candidates, and not one of them is equipped? Or is it the job of the educators who look at their success rate in placing their graduates and saying, wait a minute, nobody's getting any jobs, makes us look bad? Who starts this conversation? Or is it the students who just spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a four-year degree and, and are being told, by employers, you don't have the skills we need or you don't have basic skills to even take entry-level jobs. It's a great question, Bonnie, and I think what's happening now is that um, where the needs are the most acute, the conversations are just sort of happening sort of um, chemically. I mean, they're just starting to have the conversation because everybody's reached a level of dissatisfaction. Well, very important about, yes, and I'm going to add one more to the, one more uh, iron to this fire, China. It's the parents who are paying for that four-year yes, education, no, is exactly, it? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> there really are, there really are four primary stakeholders here. That's right. They're saying WT blank, my kid, $200,000 down the what, and then they're singing the get a job. I'll give you the lyrics in a minute. Let's get Susan in on this conversation. Susan, you're looking at it from the perspective of the employer. The stakes are getting higher for attracting and retaining the right talent to deliver future business strategies. So I see you saying this, companies are competing for, and let's say the few who are well-trained, skill-adept, and competent. Is that where you're coming from, Susan Bohr? Absolutely, Bonnie. And China talked there about the the amount of change that's going on. I mean, change is the major driver here for us. The pace of change in the world at large 
is accelerating at a rate that we've never known. And never more has there been acceleration um, as in the tech sector. So, you know, we've talked for a long time about talent quality really being the enabler to be able to do business. But, you know, that war for talent McKinsey talked about, gosh, 20 years ago or not, it is absolutely hot right now. And it really is forcing organizations to, I think, really compete, but not just compete harder, but much more thoughtfully um, about how they're going to acquire the brightest and the best, because the brightest and the best is actually the only way they are going to succeed in this massively evolving world that we're in. Okay. And and what are companies prepared to do, Susan? Just give us a little taste of this. What are they doing? Are we talking about signing bonuses? I've heard that term. Are we talking about contracts for employees who typically would have been at will, I believe is the term, saying, hey, you're so valuable to us. We want to secure a piece of you for the next X number of years or training programs. What are some of the incentives to say, come here rather than go there to our competitors? Susan? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Bonnie. And the thing is, of course, there is no silver bullet. But traditionally, where the competition has, um, has you know, really kind of merged has been around compensation, you know, that compete on the money and you'll be able to buy what you need. And the reality is that that is really not going to differentiate sufficiently you know, for two reasons. Most organizations can just up the money anyway, so basically you just get into a bid war around this. Mm-hmm. But the second thing is increasingly that we're saying that, you know, it's not just about the compensation. People want to know about the firm they're joining. They want to know about the philosophy, the opportunity to grow. They want to know what the leadership DNA is. Are they going to fit? Are they going to, you know, really have a career with an organization that they feel at one with. So your compensation has got to be right in the ballpark, but it is no longer going to help us differentiate in being able to acquire the, the, the really best. Very well put. Thank you. We're just about ready to go to break, but I just want to add that on a recent SAP radio show, someone mentioned that we were talking on the topic of CSR, corporate social responsibility. And I believe they said that the millennials are happier to get a little less money if they feel they're working for a company that, quote, unquote, is doing good for the world. So there is another valuation that maybe we didn't have 20, 30, 40 years ago. I am speaking to Dr. Catherine Jones, Burson by Deloitte, China Gorman, CMG Group, Susan Bohr, SAP. Our topic is HR on Alert, Part 2, Leadership in the Headlights. Who's running the show? Kids, we've got so many stakeholders in this discussion of skills versus talent. You don't want to miss it. I'm going to ask Brad to take us out. Don't even think of touching that app. That dial, that mouse. We'll be right back. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. Brad, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. 
SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, and we're going to start off with our very popular segment called What's in Your Cup Today? Let's start with Dr. Catherine Jones. What are you drinking today, Catherine? Be honest. Hey, I brought my own with me, and my very favorite, it's called Blue Bottle, and you can only get it, well, you can't only get it, but you get it in the Ferry Building in San Francisco. It's a dark roast, and it is to die for. Really? Really interesting. I want you to bottle some up and save it for us. Sounds like something good. I'm assuming it's full full lead, uh, full caffeine, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Catherine doesn't fool around. She likes her coffee. Good. Thank you, Catherine. China Gorman, what are you drinking today? I think it's, uh, I made an early trip to my neighborhood um, most popular coffee store, and I think it's Cafe Verona, which is the dark roast and and uh, and fully fully leaded, fully fully leaded, fully loaded. Glad to hear that. And let's see, Susan Boyer in the UK near Heathrow. What are you drinking today, Susan? Well, Bonnie, I'm on a bit of a health kick at the moment. So actually, what I've got in front of me is a really zingy peppermint tea that I've managed to get from uh, from one of the local coffee shops. Although, you know, if I was staying true to my nationality, I expect probably what should be in my cup is some very fine Scottish whiskey and not some um, <laughs> terrible remedy. <laughs> I must tell you, I'm a big fan of peppermint tea, mint tea, anything with mint in it. I love it. So I'm, I'm thinking of you. They don't let me have caffeine on show days, however, <laughs> Susan. But I know there wouldn't be much. Just that little zing from the mint would be fine. So let's dive into our first part of our roundtable segment. Uh, we have so many things to talk about. I, I love this panel because you all have so many different levels and, and areas of expertise to bring to it. We're talking about multinationals. We're talking about education versus employers, the supply and the demand side. We're talking about competing for talent that may be in scarce supply in certain parts. So let's just go back in order where we started. Let's just bring in all of your areas of interest. Catherine Jones, I'm going to start with you, and you say it's not a people problem. There are 1.3 billion Chinese four times those of the United States. It's not an economic problem. Over 400,000 foreign-funded enterprises in China. And we're talking about emerging markets. So how do emerging markets find that talent? Is it local? Is it global? Is it imported from the headquarters com- country? What do, you th- what do you observe, Catherine? Well, the first thing we observe is that we have the parachute executive in a new co- in a uh, emerging company or in a new uh, a new company, um, for example, in China or elsewhere, where the headquarters sends in somebody. The first year they're trying to figure out the culture. The next couple of years, maybe they're figuring out how to run the business, and in the third year, they're or fourth year, they're figuring out what they're going to do when they go back home again. And all in all, there's an issue with that unless that person starts from the very first day that he or she hits that job, and it's usually a he if we're looking at China, um, mm-hmm. to plan for a successor. 
And when we look there, there seems to be a skill gap. Um, not that they're not competent or that they're not smart, but the part of it is a culturally and educationally uh, induced uh, schism, if you will, between what our big national uh, multinationals expect in terms of talent and the local talent for lots and lots of different reasons. And China, what you're talking about um, with uh, education is ever so true because if we look at many company countries, we see things like uh, learning by rote or uh, learning the right answer that's very good for mathematics and science, which, yes, we need, but it isn't necessarily the way to teach how to think innovatively. Mm-hmm. So as we mm-hmm. go into other countries, there's a, a, a problem with how do we get the innovation and strategy. Very, very interesting. Yes, thinking creatively outside the box, thinking with intuition and knowledge and out, yeah, outside the box, really. Let's, let's go to China. China, I want to talk, well, I say let's go to China. We were in China with Catherine, but I want to talk to China Gorman. Please forgive me for that, but it just popped in. Okay. Studies predict, and, and you know, you know, the last segment of the show will be your predictions, all of you, for 2018. Well, here you've already given me an interesting prediction, China Gorman. You told me before the show, studies predict that by 2018, the U.S. Will be short at least three million workers with post-secondary degrees. What's going on here, China? Well, we're we're at a we're at a, a very overused term, but we're at a perfect storm of shifting values in the edu- in the post-secondary education system, shifting requirements by employers, shifting attitudes um, and um, and values needs, motivators uh, by employees and and other kinds of workers who want to join the the economy, whether they're you know young people coming out of high school and college and and junior college or older workers who've been out of the job market for several years wanting to wanting to come back in or people just making making career changes because of values changes in their lives all there's so many dynamic changes happening right now um that it's a perfect time to start looking at the disconnects between what employers of all sizes in all countries are looking for particularly in new entrants to the economy um, what those new entrants to the economy are expecting and wanting from their employers and how the education systems are needing to rethink what their what their deliverables are so it's a it's a fascinating time and it's all coming together and th- that statistic is a is a US statistic but you know we mm-hmm. could look at it probably all over the world in in most developed as well as emerging uh, economies that the number of degreed people projected in the future are not going to be met by what the education systems around the world are putting out Thank you, China. And I have another quick statistic before I bring Susan into this. You say, and, and here's a part of this divide we were talking about, 72% of post-secondary education providers, so this is the school people, believe they are adequately preparing their graduates yes. to enter the economy. However, yes. let's flip it over. When they ask recent graduate students, graduated students, meaning they have that nice piece of paper in their hand and the parents are saying, OMG, how am I going to pay for it? And 42% of employers who are waiting there with the vacancies 
studies. They asked them, they said only 45% of this population of the graduated students and 42% of employers believe students are adequately prepared to enter the economy. This is a shift of almost 30% in and these what's, two and responses. And what's about that statistic, Bonnie, that's a, that's a McKinsey survey um, statistic. The 45% of recently graduated students in their first job. So these are the students that actually got jobs. And wow. the employers, the 42% of employers who are saying, no, not so much in terms of preparation, these are the folks who hired um, newly graduated students. So it's probably even a little worse because these statistics relate to students who actually found jobs and are working mm-hmm. and are being overwhelmingly deemed, you know, not adequately prepared. Yes, you interesting. Know what I find really interesting yeah. there, China, and that is, I was just wondering and listening to what you were saying, if in fact, if in fact, employers ever thought that college graduates were were properly prepared. I wonder. Well, you know, that's such a great question, and and you probably <laughs> have data around this, and and maybe Sue as well. But I remember when I graduated from college years ago, um, most <laughs> employers had. You know, management training programs of all sizes. They had um, ways to onboard young people entering the economy for the first time with massive kinds of, of training programs. And and outside of really large employers, you don't hear much about those anymore. And so it may be that part of this issue is an employer issue because they're not, you know, um, they're not prepared at this point to really – imbue these young young or or uh, new entrants into the economy the way the way they used to although when you look at how much uh, uh money is spent by corporations in in uh, training uh, in the US employers spend 454 billion billion wow. dollars on post secondary education and training I want to bring Susan into this, and Susan has an interesting perspective on exactly what we're talking about. Perfect. She told me before the show, the alternative strategy to a deploy is grow. This means creating learning opportunities and a continuous agenda for growth for each and every talent in your organization based on, here's the key, flexible and changing capabilities. And the reason is, very true, and I don't know if we've talked about this yet, Susan, skill sets becoming are becoming obsolete more and more quickly. Let's let's dive into this, Susan. Very interesting point. Why are the skill sets becoming obsolete faster than before? What do you observe? I think, Bonnie, the, it really goes back to the first point being made, that change in all industries is happening so much quicker. The gap between new products emerging, new types of selling, new solutions being required, that the gap is narrowing between the point they are identified and the, the volume of skills that you need in order to, de, to deploy. So actually, you know, it used to be the case that you could predict fairly reasonably what skills you would need in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Now, I would say that, you know, if we looked back two, three, four years ago, You know, some of the skills that we need with the cloud business, some of the skills that we need in HANA, in memory computing, you know, there would be very little knowledge or awareness of of what that might even look like. And so the time horizon is just narrowing so much that trying to predict the specific skills um, is not necessarily the way to to win the game. I think increasingly we are starting to think about how do we look for learning agility, yeah. how do we look for flexibility in employees who are really happy 
to move at pace, to learn, to renew, to add to their skill portfolio, um, so that really the skill set that you're running with as an employee of a firm Mm -hmm. is a very dynamic thing rather than a fixed. Great point. And I want to ask the panel, I'll throw this out to all of you. We only have two minutes till the break, and if we still have a lot to say, which I'm sure you will, we'll continue this when we come back in the second part of the roundtable. Question is, given the composition of the workforce today, and let's talk about large enterprises. I'm assuming it would be accurate to say, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that we have a range of ages. We have people who've been there for a while or come in later, maybe returning to the workforce, who have really valuable skills, and we have our entry level, everything in between. Who are the employees? who are most likely and in what age group to be that person who will be able to be upskilled in a job over time as the company's needs change, as the job's needs change specific to that person's title or role in their department, their area. Who wants to take that just to start us off before we go to break? Well, I'd like to say I that certainly... I don't think it's an age thing at all. I think yeah. that, the, that flexibility is... Uh, uh, maybe maybe a trait or um, but at any age people should be able to relearn and learn and so the traits that we want to develop in school are things like how about curiosity how about asking questions how about being able to tip things over on their heads and that's not age related it's just a way of thinking okay yeah, I, anybody I, else uh, this is China I you know the the end the the era of careers being front-end loaded in terms of skills is definitely gone. And so I agree with Susan and, and Catherine wholeheartedly. The characteristic we need the most is a commitment and an understanding in, in employees that lifelong learning is the deal because now skill sets, as Susan said, skill sets have a short shelf life. And the ability to, as you said, Bonnie, upskill or reskill or continue mm-hmm. to skill will be one of the most sought-after character traits uh, that employers will ha- employers of all size all over the world will have as we continue to move forward. Great points. We're going to continue this when we come back after the break. We're at the halfway point. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game. I don't know why I say it that way. I just like to say Coffee Break with Game Changers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham speaking to a lively panel. They are engaged. They are involved. They are smart. They know what they're talking about. You can learn so much from Dr. Catherine Jones, China Gorman, Susan Bohr. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Lots more coming in. I'll give you some of the lyrics of Get a Job from the Silhouettes 1957. Brad from the boardroom to you voice america business network the time for enterprise mobility is now according to idc by 2013 over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology comprising 34.9 percent of the workforce the impact of mobility on business is clear Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com Voice America Business Network the bottom line in business. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram 
at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. We're talking about HR on alert, leadership in the headlights. Who's running the show? Who decides who gets what job? Who in the education field decides how to educate our youngsters or our returning students so that they are skilled and competent and upskillable in the job of their desire and the companies will see them that way. So we're going to kick this segment off with Dr. Catherine Jones from Burrison by Deloitte. Catherine, I'd like to talk about that, that meeting of the minds, that employee prospect, wannabe, worker-to-be, sits in the chair opposite that HR person, whether they're uh, an HR senior manager, whether they're somebody who just does the front-end hiring. They sit across the desk. A resume is presented. Conversation goes on. How would you advise today's employee wannabe or would-be, I'll say any age, since we already debunked that about age a few minutes ago, how would you advise that person to convey Catherine Jones convey to the hiring person that they can be flexible. They have curiosity. They are upskillable. How do you communicate that so that they get the job? Well, you know, there's a lot of interesting ways that people are starting to to address that very question. Not so much from the uh, employee's point of view or the prospective employee, but from the hiring people's point of view. Look at some of the gamification today, where suddenly there's your uh, as part of your hiring process, you have a, a puzzle in front of you, um, a just really interesting something to solve. I've been looking at a lot of these and got to say, you know, there are companies that I couldn't get a job in because I must not be clever enough. I'm looking at these, <laughs> these mind puzzles that look like Mensa, and they're really, really interesting. But uh, what it shows is a different way of thinking, a way to look at something totally, again, out of the box, or to see patterns where, um, where, for example, if you come out of a very rote structure in education, you wouldn't see patterns. So we're looking at all sorts of different ways of approaching uh, not what courses you had in school and uh, how many babysitting jobs you had before you uh, entered the job market, but looking at how do you look at a new problem? How do you approach it? And that mm-hmm. kind of thing can lead into the interview uh, as well. If you're looking at, you know, how do you think about something totally different? So from the, um, the employees, the prospective employees' point of view then, is, um, is it's a challenge because you're going to have to hope that your hiring uh, interviewer is going to say something like, tell me how you do something that you've never done before. Tell me how you approach a problem. Uh, be able to uh, express, I can think outside the box, and here's here's an outside-the-box mm-hmm. example. Um, very interesting. Kind of very, very interesting. It sounds like there would have to be some training on the part of the interviewer to be able to ask that question and know how to evaluate the answer, as well as we all know how many websites are there, ladies, where they give advice to job seekers, how to dress, how to talk, how to relax, how to keep your hands in your lap, how to write a resume, not more than two pages, how to digitally say thank you, all that good stuff. And the big question I've seen in recent years is when the the interviewer asks, well, we know your strengths, Bob, but what would you say are your key weaknesses? And people are being trained to be prepared for that question. But we're talking about something entirely different. China, what are your thoughts on this, please? Well, you know, I, I think this sort of massive wave of change about how um, 
how employees and students think about their careers, how employers think about the talent in their organization, and how education providers think about um, preparing people to be great um, members of the economy. This change is, is happening, you know, is happening everywhere. And people entering the job market now are sort of being caught in this vortex of, you know, um, uh, recruiters not asking, you know, the questions of the past. And we could we could all say whether we think these are smart or dumb questions, right? But but, mm-hmm. but your, to your point exactly, um, you know, what are your greatest weaknesses? You know, it was it has always been one of the I think dumbest questions a recruiter asks. But, <laughs> oh wait, wait, pause for the applause. Applause, on- applause. <laughs> yeah, applause. between that and the online gamification um, that, that Catherine was just, was just talking about, there are lots and lots of, of shades of, of differences as employers, some as large as SAP, who I'm sure are doing incredible um, uh, things assisted by amazing technology, their SAP, uh, uh, you know, after all, um, to help get to the <laughs> essence of, is this a lifelong learner? And are their values in sync with ours? Um, there are many shades, and so it requires incredible dexterity on the part of job seekers because you never know when you're yes. when you're going in for an interview. Is this an old school interview? Is this a future interview? Is thank you. Uh, and so it requires a great deal more preparation and skills for job seekers to be able to, in the moment, be able to respond to those kinds of. Of, of questions, and and again, it gets to their propensity for being a lifelong learner, being able to be flexible, being able to move outside of themselves, survey the world, and say, okay, I need to acquire these kinds of skills. Thank you. Susan Bohr, you're the Global Senior VP of Talent at SAP. As I said in the intro, you're responsible for leading SAP's talent acquisition strategy. It's not called skills or graduate acquisition strategy. It's talent acquisition strategy. What's your take on what you've been hearing uh, in this part of the discussion? Thanks, Bonnie. Well, a couple of things. Um, The first uh, thing, I think with the millennial generation in particular, Mm-hmm. The trick here is for them not to be too fixed in what they expect and want from work. You know, this is a generation that has got some very distinctly different appetites from work. And I think, in, you know, to some extent, their ability to demonstrate that they are not always entirely wedded to being able to do nine months in three different countries. And in fact, they want every third afternoon off so that they can, you know, build something new in the garage. You know, to my, <laughs> my, my kind of thoughts, the mindset to be able to meet the employer halfway is a really good indicator of their, of their flexibility. Um, moving though, second point, moving to the assessment, um, you know, we've talked here, interview technique often is exactly that. And, and what we do know is that the correlation between people who perform well at interview and how they perform in job is actually very low. So certainly one of the things that we would be advising and indeed deploy um, in, in SAP is that the interview is only ever one part of our selection, whether that's in the early talent or, or, or further beyond. Gamification's been mentioned, assessment tools, personality inventories, in some instances, you know, um, intellectual agility. It's not one single DNA we're going after. I think the trick here is to be really clear about what DNA is going to work and make sure that your whole assessment process fits around making the closest matchmaking that you can. 
Thank you. Thank you. And China, I want to go back to another point from you. You say that long-term success of an organization requires not only developing talent with the eye on strong individual leaders, but strong organizational capabilities. How do you see that in a new applicant, China? Well, I think to, to Susan's point, there are a range of assessments that can point towards you know, future future capabilities, um, and it it really does look at you know behavioral interviewing as well as a track record. If you were if you were if you're coming into the economy right from school, what kinds of things were you involved with? Were you paying for your education yourself and working your way through school? How else did you manage your time? Um, if you if you you know are, are massively overloaded with debt, so that you could really focus on your education, did you do internships? Did you travel abroad? Do you have a do you have a propensity to get outside of yourself and and have a larger a larger worldview? And how do you prove that in an interview? Um, I, there are amazing um, and very effective assessment instruments now and coming onto the market that really can help employers determine. Um, future capabilities that will get to the, the answer to that exact question, Bonnie. Okay, thank you. And I, I want to throw out a, a different, a curveball, if you will, to all three of you. Uh, we have three minutes left before the, this segment ends, and I'd like to hear from all three of you, if we will. So I'll start with Dr. Catherine Jones. In terms of attracting what I'll put quotes around, the right kind of talent, meaning somebody who thinks outside the box, they're creative, they understand the organization's needs, they want to learn, they want to grow, they want to please, they want to fit in, they're really eager, they have good educational background. Who is going to attract those? Will it be the startup company with the excitement, the newness, the wow, look at us, we're going to change the world? Will it be the small to mid-size, the SME, if you will, who's established, they're not maybe setting the world on fire, they've got a good, good. Uh, annual income and they can pay their bills and they can pay their employees or will it be the big huge I call behemoth companies who say yes we're turning over a new leaf we want creative employees we're going to give you a great future we're solid stay with us so who's going to attract that person any one of the three or all of the three yeah. Catherine Jones what do you think well I think the first thing is that it's some of a different scope for different folks because uh, some people really like the excitement and the of a big, big corporation. But here is, the, here is the real key that answers that question, and that is every employer out there is going to have to really pay attention to their employment brand because that's what's going to attract the kind of people that they want. And how they present that brand, which sounds a little like having a persona other than your personality, but hopefully the brand is in fact reflective of the true culture and values of the, com- of the company, um, but that is what every employer out there is going to have to be really working on and honing so that those um, uh, the employees actually know what that company is going to look like when they get there. I mean, look at the – it costs about $10,000 every time an employee flips within the first year in terms mm. of replacing that employee. Or we do an incredibly bad job of that fit in many, many, many cases. We have – Retention is a bigger problem than getting them in there sometimes. So uh, having that brand articulated um, in a way that is compelling and truthful um, so that people can actually make a choice early on. And, you know, people don't stay in a company forever and ever, but at least mm-hmm. they have the potential of, of some levels of growth within that company and hanging in there for a good part of their career. Thank you. China, briefly, your take on this? 
Um, I, I agree with Catherine um, and the truthful part that the brand you're promoting is the actual employee experience. Studies, I've seen recent surveys that show that young people coming out of college, entering the economy for the first time, more than 50% of them really in, intend to stay five years or more with their first employer, and yet Bureau of Labor Statistics data show us that on average they're staying a year and a half. So there is some kind of disconnect between what their expectations are, not just for the employment experience, but, but how they interact with their employer and then how they actually behave once they get on board. Yeah. Very interesting. And Susan Borrell, I want to get you in here before we're almost ready for break. What do you think in terms of is a big company like SAP likely to get that perfect employee, quote unquote, or will they go to the startup that's more exciting, perhaps? You tell me. Yeah, again, I would agree with the, the rest of the panel. It's not really about the size of the company. It really is about the brand and the brand being authentically different. This is about matchmaking, you know. Mm-hmm. This is about figuring out what organization values-wise is going to work for you and what's going to work for the organization. So, you know, I think it's much more about matchmaking. And in order to matchmake, you have to be really authentically clear about what you stand for and what you're looking for. Thank you very much. And I promise, just before we go out, I'm going to promise I won't sing. I promise I won't sing. Get a job. 1957, the lyrics were, get a job. Sha-da-da-da, sha-da-da-da-da. Every morning about this time, she get me out of bed, a-crying. Get a job. After breakfast every day, she throws the want ads right my way and never fails to say, get a job. Sha-da-da-da, sha-da-da-da-da. On that note, Brad, please take us out to break. When we come back, we'll be talking about the crystal ball. I'm going to ask my three esteemed and very smart, very savvy panelists to look into the crystal ball up to 2018. Will we still be having this conversation about HR leadership in the headlights, the skills versus talent paradox? I'm Bonnie DeGram. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. What else? We'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. 
Let's get right to it. Crystal ball segment. Ladies, get out that chamois, that polishing cloth. I even ask people to get out the old torn up banky that's sitting in a, in a garage box somewhere and polish off the crystal ball. Let's see what will the HR leadership in the headlights topic look like in five years. 2018, will we still be talking about skills versus talent? Paradox or will we have solved that problem? Let's start with Dr. Catherine Jones from Burson by Deloitte. Go, Catherine. Okie doke. You know what? I think that the, we will always be faced with the, with the issues of how do we get the right talent in the right job, the right place at the right time, probably forever and ever, um, unless we have robots that just kind of line up in hospitals and schools and manufacturing plants and we have no people. So until that point... Um, we are going to uh, we're going to face that. And you know what? I'm thinking. Let's go back to a really good liberal arts education where people just learn about how to learn in the different disciplines, and then they can learn anything. Very well put. And do you think that there will be more acknowledgement on the education side? We talked about the the uh, supply and demand. Do you think educators will become more savvy that they will understand and want to work with companies to say, what do you need? How can we teach our students? better, to better equip them to meet your needs, not just to get a job with a paycheck, but to become a fulfilling and fulfilled member of the workforce. What do you think, Catherine? I think I'd tip that around. You know, I used to be a university dean, and I was responsible Mm -hmm. for the training of teachers, having been a teacher myself. And um, I think that what we need to look at is how people are skilled to learn in uh, starting from kindergarten or pre-kindergarten all the way through. So we've got skills that are that are the basis, and we're really talking basic skills, I guess, like can you read and do math, but beyond mm-hmm. that, can you think? Can you, do you understand what it means to be strategic? Do you understand how to communicate in multiple, uh, in different ways with different people? And that's what we saw with the, with the Chinese, too, is that their communication skills were just different than we had anticipated or than the Westerners had um, were used to. So that there was a, a gap of um, understanding in business when you look at multinationals and that sort of thing. That isn't going to go away unless we address it. And you know what? It is addressable. We can okay. teach to the gap. Good to know. Thank you very much. Very, very good insights, Catherine. And let's go to China Gorman. China, what does your crystal ball show? Can you look ahead five years or? <laughs> well, <laughs> what, I, what I think we're going to see is a massive shift in the mindset of um, uh, education providers with a focus on um, proving mastery of of um, content, mastery of skill, as opposed uh, as opposed to measuring hours in seats. I think there's a there's a sea change coming. Um, schools like Western Governors University, like Southern New Hampshire University, that are beginning to provide degree programs that are competency based as opposed to, you know, classroom hours based. I think we will see an acceleration of that, and um, in that acceleration will be lots and lots of interaction and collaboration between the education providers and employers. Just just no question that's coming. I, I, just as an anecdote, I have a, a friend mm-hmm. in India who uh, looks at the number of engineers and technical STEM graduate students out of four-year degrees programs in India who have very technical skill and clearly are competent, but they don't have the what what is we've maddeningly, maddeningly begun to refer as soft skills. They, their their communication skills are poor. Their um, and people skills aren't great. And he's created a series of of 
finishing schools. He calls them finishing schools. And it's not, you know, drinking tea with white gloves. It's really people skills. It's learning how to talk to people. It's being comfortable talk, looking people in the eye. It's, it's being comfortable, you know, making up um, conversation and, and, and having, having great um, interactive skills. Um, we could be seeing something like that introduced globally um, in the short term to make up for some of the skills deficits that students have coming into the workforce now. But I, but but I think it's interesting that there's a lot of innovation happening, and at the heart of it is collaboration between education providers and employers. Exactly. And what's the lag time? I don't know if you know this, but uh, I'm wondering, what's the lag time between these innovations, these open com- collaboration, better communication between supply and demand, the educators and the employers, the impact on the jobless statistics? Is that a, a multi-year lag? In other words, if something amazing yeah. happens in 2014, will we see it in 2015? Will we see it three months later? How, how soon before the government of, of any country is able to say, yeah, we're really doing it right now? What do you think. China? I, I think it's a long time. Um, change comes slowly, you know, generally as we know, and we're talking about changing systems and globally, so that tends to be slow. Uh, but what will really accelerate it is the continued perception by employers that the skills they need are not available where they need them. And so they will continue to put pressure on both government systems and private systems to fix that. And so as the, as the perceived shortages get more and more acute, we'll see more and more pressure and probably the timeline will, the timeline will increase. Thank you. And, and I have a prediction. Uh, internationally. Yes, yes, exactly. I, that, that's China, a I have a prediction for you is that I will not after today's show have to ask you how you got your first name. So tell me now, please. <laughs> <laughs> my maiden, so it's quick. My maiden name is Minor, M-I-N-E-R. My father thought China Minor was a really cute name. That's it. Oh. That's it. Thank you. I don't have to ask you again. I've been waiting almost a year to ask that question and get the answer. Okay. And Susan Bohr from SAP, it's your turn, my friend. What do you see in the crystal ball in terms of changes, improvements? Will we still be having this discussion, HR, skills versus talent predictions for 2018? What do you think? So I think without doubt the topic of employability is going to continue to emerge really as, as either a blocker or an enabler um, in terms of talent quotients, both for countries and for and for industries. Yeah. You know, Bonnie, this will be a bit controversial, but I almost wonder if we end up replacing the word education with learning and employability. Um, I certainly think as we stand at the moment, education is getting more and more distant from employability and from the agendas for not just employers but for economies. Um, so, you know, I think almost we could we could change that and that might change the lens. I definitely think at the moment um, that in future industry will have to lead the way to connect with education, not just with colleges. We've talked a lot today about colleges, but I actually I agree with China. It's schools. I don't know if I'm quite there with the nursery bit yet, but but we have got to get much earlier um, into shaping what matters and, and, and why it matters um, and to increasingly shape curriculum from, uh, from these areas to be able to really set the world up for success. 
Very, very interesting. I remember, I think China remembers this the last time she was on the show. I talked about being on the math team in junior high school where mm. we traveled as a team. I was in Bayside High, New York City school system. We traveled from school to school. There were about five of us, and we were given really, really out-of-the-box math problems. You had a time, set time to solve and share the answer, and you either had it or you didn't, but really not your standard math types of problems. It was exciting. It was exhilarating. We still have the TV shows College Bowl, and we have high Oh, yeah. competing. And I, I think that gets the energy in there. Let's let's teach our students to not just do the rote, but to think for themselves, think outside the box, ask the good questions. You know what? Time for me to do some predictions here. I have one minute left. Coffee break with Game Changers. You're listening to us today. We're long running. We are up to, I think this is episode number 89. Woohoo! Wednesday's 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 Eastern. Next week, June 19th. Oh, this is a good one. We're going to be talking about the importance of the IT professional brain talking about important in learning. The most innovative technologies will fail without it. Hmm, there's a prediction. June 26th, Enterprise Mobility Enablement Part 2, coming back from a topic we started in February 2013. And Tuesdays, Financial Excellence with Game Changers. That's 9 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 Eastern. And we're going to be talking next week on the last mile of reporting, staying in control. Sports fans know what that means. And June 25th, a summary of the whole 13-week miniseries, Finance Transformation. Big thank yous to Dr. Catherine Jones, China Gorman, Susan Bohr. Wonderful panel. Smart ladies, thanks for sharing your insights, your expertise. And Susan, we love controversy on SAP Game Changers Radio. And a big shout-out to Malcolm Kimberlin and Liz Brenner. You get a nomination for equally the extraordinaire tweeter of the day today. Liz, thanks for helping us put this panel together. Really appreciate your input. Also, shout out to Grace Chu and Brad and the Business Channel team. We love you all at Voice America, the Business Channel. Put on your seatbelt, kids. Here we go. The call to action. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off for SAP Coffee Break with Game Changers. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.